Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I want to invite us today, before we go into our discussion of separate but uh, not equal, or separate and not equal, I want to invite us to do what we always do, is to take a moment to meditate, to center ourselves so that we can be prepared for the conversation ahead. So I invite you, if you would, wherever you are, if you can close your eyes just for a moment, plant your feet on the ground or the floor, connect with the chair underneath you, and just take a moment to find your breath, to tune into that which gives you life, to connect with that divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. And as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's begin. I want to talk with you a bit today about the notion of separate and not equal. But in particular, I want to talk with you about a question that comes up quite often in the work of dismantling racism. A few years ago, I was in a training. In this particular training, I wasn't actually a facilitator, but I was a part of the team that was facilitating on ending racism, on how to have courageous conversations about race. And the room was full. And just at the beginning of the training, a black woman stood up in this multiracial training and said, why would white people want to give up their privilege? And it was like, man, we're just beginning the conversation. And she came in and just asked such a powerful question. And it's an important question because I think it's one that people ask themselves all the time. Why would I want to give up my privilege? Or people live in this place of fear and they think if, in fact, I give up my privilege, it, it takes away something from me and it gives it to you and you're the one that benefits. Well, here's the thing. Equity isn't about you giving up your privilege. Black people don't want white people to suffer or to endure what we endure. We don't want white people to be killed by the police. We don't want you to have to be harassed when you walk through a store. We don't want you to have to deal with getting a bad um, loan interest rate and a plethora of other things that happen. We don't want you to have to experience that. We simply want to have some of the same privileges. And I think the question that needs to be asked is, what's the cost of racism to white people? Not why should white people give up their privilege, but what's the cost? It's a conversation that we have in my courses all the time. In fact, we just had this conversation yesterday about white people needing to understand what racism cost them. Actually, economically, we all suffer when racism occurs. We suffer financially 
because I just mentioned what happens when I walk into a bank, my interest rate goes up when I try to apply for a loan. But if you go back and you look at what happened in this country around 2008, when the economy tanked, and I'm not an economist, but I do read and I do keep up with things, everyone suffered. And they suffered because of loans that were put in place that were actually detrimental to people of color. You have to go back and do the research on it. And it started out as a way to, I would say, so that people of color didn't have the same opportunities. What we saw happening during that particular time is that these loans were put into place and they were so high that people began to experience difficulty with keeping their homes. And ultimately, it was more Black people and people of color in the beginning. And folks would say, well, why aren't they able to keep up with their payments? When in actuality, they didn't realize that the terms of the loans were different for people of color. But what ended up happening is, and again, I'm not an economist, so I can't explain it to the as an economist would. But what I know for sure that happened is, is that everybody ended up suffering. And the big banks, and you know who they are, the big banks actually uh, got fined for their loan practices. And also they tanked, some of them tanked. And so there's more that I could say about that, but I want you to do the research on it. I want you to understand that ultimately the things that impact people of color, ultimately it impacts white folks as well. Maybe not to the same degree, but it does. But again, there are people out here who know much more about the financial impact. But what I know about is I know about the psychological impact as well, because I understand that people live in fear. They live in fear of the other. And so what happens is people will decide that they can't frequent certain places because, oh, black and brown people frequent that place. People decide that they can't have relationships with folks. And as a result, people suffer because you don't reach across the bridge and connect with someone who looks differently. But you might say, eh, that's okay. I can do without being connected with someone who looks differently than me. But again, I want you to understand what could you do what could you accomplish in your business? What could you accomplish in your community if you were not afraid to reach across the color line? Think about the ways in which you could work together with someone who perhaps knows how to work a computer and you don't know how to work a computer. Let's say you're an elderly population and you have some people of color in your community who are really good at technology. What would happen if you reached across the line and asked those individuals to help you? In fact, I want to share something with you. Each of us, most of us have a telephone. Do you know that one of the reasons you have a telephone is because Henry Sampson Jr. was an African-American man, an engineer, an inventor, a film historian who created the Gamma Electric Cell in 1972, which is responsible for the cell phone. He's just one of the people that I know of who is African-American who contributed to the cell phone and who contributed to the computers. What would happen if he had not shared his brilliance with the world? Think about the doctors you know, the lawyers you know. People suffer when we don't use everyone's talents and abilities and skills. So the cost of racism is insurmountable, actually. We don't live in a vacuum. We are all 
interconnected. So I want to challenge you to think about how could your life be different if you were to embrace someone who is of a different racial background. And I want you to think about the cost of racism to you. What would happen even if you live in a predominantly white town, what would happen if all of the people of color you know who work in your town, who did not work in your grocery stores, for instance, or perhaps who didn't work in the doctor's office, what would happen if they all pick up and left? What would have happened during COVID if the essential workers, the cashiers in the stores, or the people who dropped off your food to you, who happened to be people of color, what would happen if they all decided not to work? What would be the cost to you? You see, when we think about why we should dismantle racism, it is so critical for us to think about our interconnectedness. So while we might live in segregated neighborhoods, we do not exist on this planet without having the contributions of one another be a part of our livelihood. So I invite you to think about that today. We're going to be discussing this a little bit more today with my guests, because again, it is easy for us to turn away from the problems of racism when we think that it does not hurt us, but we have to think more deeply about the ways that it does. Oftentimes, when we live in our secluded, separated neighborhoods, particularly white people, we think that we have the luxury of ignoring racism and its impact, but there's a cost to you. No one is immune to it. And I'm delighted today that my guest, a young woman who lives in a predominantly white neighborhood, didn't say, it doesn't impact me but decided that, wait a minute, racism hurts us all. And today she's going to discuss some of the detrimental uh, effects that racism can have on white communities. But in particular, she will talk about some of the things that she um, has done in her community to raise awareness. And so I'm delighted to welcome her to the show today. I'm going to uh, introduce her and then we're going to take a quick break and come back. My guest today is Sadie Frankel, and she is a second year political science and journalism student at Northwestern University. Again, she lives in a predominantly white town and she has become really, really active and engaged with other leaders in her community so that she can um, dismantle racism and that she can be so involved in other forms of social activism. I'm delighted because I just met her a couple of weeks ago. We were both at a vigil about gun control. and by, Well, actually, the vigil wasn't for gun control. The vigil was because... We were sick and tired of the mass shootings. And it was just after the shooting uh, in uh, Texas. And I was so impressed with this young woman and the work that she is doing that I had to have her on my show. So when we come back from the break, I want to welcome to the show, Sadie Frankel. We'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Sadie Frankel. Sadie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So Sadie, I want to get started. You have done quite a bit uh, in terms of your social activism. But before I start, I want to ask you about um, how you stay grounded. How do you stay so connected with this larger cause to say, I have to do something about what's going on in this world? Do you have any sort of meditation practice? Do you have something that connects you with this larger body of, of work? Um, one of the things I really like to do is just sort of be outside. Um, I go on walks. I sit on the porch. I just sort of like am outside usually sometimes I listen to music sometimes I'm just sort of in silence and it's just important to remember like the bigger picture Mm -hmm. of like what you're working for and sort of look outside yourself because it's really easy to see like what am I doing rather than like what needs to be done as a whole Mm -hmm. so I try to focus more on what needs to be done rather than like what are my limits, my personal limits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to just sort of keep in mind the fact that you're working for something, not for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. So I want to just get right into it because so in 2020, we, we were all hit with this pandemic and we are still living in this pandemic. I don't know when it's going to end, but you know, so we're hit with this pandemic and then there is this eruption of racial unrest is really what it is. And there were a lot of people who were protesting. And then there were a lot of people who decided, well, it's not important for me to protest because it has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. But you decided that you were going to organize a a Black Lives Matter protest is what uh, you did in your neighborhood with when um, George Floyd was murdered. So tell me what inspired you to do that, because there are lots of people who heard about this. And you decided that you were going to act. Now, first of all, tell us how old you were at the time and then tell us about what inspired you. Um, I think I was 17 at the time because um, it would have been two years ago. I I think I, I was just about to turn 17. Um, so I was almost 17. But um, I heard about this. I was horrified, as I think were a lot of people's initial reactions. I grew up in a very small town in Connecticut that's predominantly white. So it was kind of a shock. 
it was sort of like an eye-opening moment where I was like, wow, like things are happening, serious, very serious things are happening. And no one seems, no one around me seemed at quite as like driven to do something. Um, I saw protests in our surrounding towns, usually the ones that were more diverse and more um, uh, urban. Um, so in the cities in Connecticut, I saw things happening, but nothing was really happening in rural Connecticut. And so I worked with some of the town um, government and people who were in charge and social leaders and stuff like that in our town. And I organized, the first thing I did was organize a Black Lives Matter rally um, at the Lime Town Hall. So I invited some fellow high school students. Um, Senator Richard Blumenthal came, um, like a bunch of people spoke and just sort of talked about the importance of acting even within small, predominantly white towns in Connecticut and how it is more widespread than you'd think. It's more than just what's happening in cities and what's happening where there's large police presence, what's happening in more diverse areas. And we need to act within our town in order to actually dismantle racism. Mm -hmm. So what are some things, what are some of the, the obstacles that you might've faced when you decided that you're gonna organize this? Because if you're in a town where people think, ah, oh, we don't need to deal with this because racism doesn't exist in our town. What, if any, I guess I should ask you, did you experience? Um, there were certainly some obstacles. People were, for the most part, the reactions were fairly positive, but there was a lot of confusion. Um, so I would post about the event on Facebook. I would post about the cause on Facebook and in our um, like town Facebook group. And people would just be like, why are you doing this? Like, this is our comfy little, like, town why are you bringing this issue into our town like we don't need it we don't need like the chaos and we don't need the um like movement and it was difficult to convince some people and I obviously didn't convince some people because that's very it's impossible for everyone to be on the same page um so I basically I tried to respond to comments I tried to respond to people um I never got a lot of, I never got a lot of people on board, but I got enough people so that we had a fairly good turnout at the event. Mm -hmm. um, very positive feedback from people who were there. It was just more of the people who were like, people were saying, this is a pandemic. You're not letting our kids have a graduation, but you'll let them have a, a rally for racial justice. It was like, well, yeah, we're social distancing and this is important. Like I'm not in charge of graduation. I'm not in charge of that, but this is something that I can do. And in my opinion, it's a very important thing to do even in a pandemic. But I think it gets back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show is that people don't see the cost to mm -hmm. them. So ultimately, what were some of the things that you said to sort of for those people who were kind of on the fence about whether this was an important issue or not. What did you say to help them to understand that, yes, this impacts all of us. This is something that we all should be concerned about. Well, I said, they, do you realize why you don't think it impacts our town? It's because we don't have people of color in our town. It's a very, very predominantly white town. And so it's like, do you know why that is? It's because of a larger picture of racism that's built into our system. Mm -hmm. And so there's a reason that we don't have a large, uh, a large population of people of color and why we're a predominantly white town. And that does affect everyone because everyone is built on interpersonal relationships. Everyone is built on the people that we meet. If we're only meet meeting white people, we're losing out on a lot mm -hmm. because there are important people everywhere yeah. that we have no relationship with because of our systematically white town. Mm -hmm. And so here's what's interesting though, Sadie, because these are the conversations that uh, I have all the time as well. And the people who tend to take my classes who are mostly white people will say these are similar conversations as well. And I think the problem is, is people think, just like what you just said. Well, this is our comfy little town. I don't mm -hmm. care. I don't care if I don't see 
Yeah. We're different for me. And I think the issue is, is that they still don't understand that there's an impact. Yeah. When you only see and engage with people who look like you, you're missing out on a whole world. Now, what's interesting is, is some of these same people will go to the islands and Mm -hmm. or they'll go to another country and they'll say, oh, weren't those people so wonderful? Yeah. Right. Well, we exist right here in the United States as well. And so look at what you could have all the time. Look at the enriched experiences that you can have. Um, But you were able to do it. And so talk to me a little bit about uh, what was the support that you received? So here you are, you are a nearly 17 year old student saying, look, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. Tell me what kind of support you had that encouraged you to do it, like from your town or from your school or your parents. Talk about that for a bit. Um, I so for the for the event itself, I made sure to reach out to a variety of people who I also wanted to speak. I gave my friends and the people around me who were people of color an opportunity to speak if they wanted to. Um, I made sure it was not just people who looked like me speaking. Um, I had a lot of support from my parents who have always just sort of like pushed me to like change things. And they've always sort of seen the bigger picture. And so I've really appreciated that because I've from a young age sort of seen a larger picture because of the way that they see the world. Um, I had a lot of support from the people in our town um, and from my teachers all the way from elementary to high school. Uh, I invited a bunch of my elementary school teachers, my middle school teachers, my high school teachers, and said, I'm hosting this thing. It'd be great if you could come um, and just sort of like show your support. And I like my elementary school music teacher, my elementary school PE teacher came, a couple of my high school teachers came. It was just a really interesting thing because it showed that people, if they're given an opportunity, they do want to do something. At the end of the day, a lot of people do want to. It's just that Um, particularly in a town where it's predominantly white, they don't really know what to do because they don't know how they can change things because it's so embedded in our system. And so it's difficult to know that. So I really appreciated people coming out and being like, okay, well, this is something I can do. Mm -hmm. But what Mm -hmm. I sort of challenge people to do is to look for that when it's not just sort of on your Facebook page, to look for the places that you can go out and do something without it being like just a, a person in your town saying, hey, come to this. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that what I would love for my listeners to, to take away from this is, is that you decided to do something. Just like you're saying, don't, don't just look on Facebook and try to figure out what to do, but do something. So you have the courage to stand up in your town because you didn't know how people were going to respond. You have the courage to say, I want to make a difference in this world. And so I want to encourage my listeners to figure out, do you want to make a difference in this world? And figure out if the choices you are making are in alignment or congruent with the things that you say that you want to do. And so I want you to take a note from Sadie and decide that you're going to stand up. Now, I want to talk a little bit more when we come back because we do have to take a break. I I want to talk a little bit more about... um, the issue of support as well when we're engaging in these activities. So we have to take a quick break. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. 
That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is Sadie Frankel. Uh, Sadie, before the break, we were talking about the Black Lives Matter protests that you organized. And with that, you were sharing with us the support that you received and that you received a lot of support from your parents. And I just want to give a shout out to your, your parents for Uh, raising such an awesome individual and it shows the importance what we do matters because maybe your parents didn't go out to organize a rally but they had instilled these values in you and you took it to heart and I think that that's the other thing it's not enough for people to say I'm not racist I'm not homophobic I'm not xenophobic I'm not any of these things you really have to demonstrate it and you have to model it and our children are always watching so I just want to say how important that is for our listeners that our children are watching what we do they're watching whether we stand up or not and they're watching how you respond when they come to you and say, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And so I appreciate the support that you had from your parents, but also the support that you had from your teachers was really, really great um, as well. You called on teachers from elementary school, middle school, and high school to come out and support you. And I think that that is invaluable for um, all of us. We need to recognize um, the roles that we play in one another's lives. But what's important for me is this, uh, in addition to all of those things that I said, is that if you want to dismantle racism, there are people out here who will walk the journey with you. I, I would imagine, Sadie, that when this thought came to your head that I want to organize a protest, you already knew that there would be people who would support you. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I first sort of decided that I wanted to, it was in sort of like a moment where I was walking around my kitchen just being like, why is this happening? How can this be happening? And like, my, my parents were like, I know, what are you going to do though? Like, what are, what are you going to do? And so I sort of was like, well, I'm going to do something. Like, I have to. There's nothing, like, nothing going on. Like, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, appreciating the fact that they were like, yeah, you're, you're furious. We're all furious. What are you going to do? I love that they asked you that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that they, they said, okay, well, you're upset about this. So, so what are you going to do now? Of course, I don't know if you ask them the same question, like, <laughs> what are we going to do? But yeah, you know, it's, it's so interesting, Sadie, because I can remember in my household. So generationally, it, it, there was a different understanding about what was going on as well. Like, yes, we all were angry about it, but I think those of us who are in my generation, well, at least those of us who are African-American, we're not completely shocked by what happened at mm-hmm. all. We though, who are a little bit older had lived through some of this stuff before. And so I think for the younger people who were experiencing this, they were like, no, this is completely unacceptable. And we're doing something about this. And it's not that the, the other generations hadn't, 
there is something about seeing this heinous murder, right? This, this, it, it was so horrific that young people were just saying, mm, no, no, we're not going to be the generation that does nothing about this. So you decided you were going to do this. Now, what was the reaction when you went to your town to talk to your town about organizing this? Um, well, my family has a close relationship with our, like, our town second selectman. We have a board of selectmen. And um, so I went to him and I said, like, can we do something? What is there that we could do within our town? And he was like, well, I think we could probably do a protest, like, even in our small town. And I said, okay, that's what we're doing then. Mm-hmm. And so he worked very closely with me in order to do it. He helped me organize it. He helped me contact people who could also speak. He helped me get in touch with the people that we needed to get in touch with to get the space that we were going to organize it in. Um, So it was very important to have a supportive like town government, um, even just like one person on it. I'm sure everyone else would have been supportive, but I knew this one person. So he helped me to sort of figure out where we could go with it, what we could do, how, what day, what time, that kind of stuff. He helped me with logistics. Um, So that was really important to have people who were willing to listen, even to like a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that meant a lot, the support of uh, adults who were willing to listen to me and to work with me and to work with my peers who also were outraged and wanted to do something. Mm -hmm. So what, what was, what was the result of this protest? I mean, how many people would you say came and then, you know, what have been some of the changes that you might have noticed since that time? Um, I think at the protest, I could be wrong, but I think there were around 150 people, um, which is pretty good turnout for tiny town. Um, I actually thought you were going to say like, I don't know, 20, 30 people, but no, there were a lot of people. It was pretty widely publicized. It was, it was pretty widely attended. Um, I saw lots of people from my high school who I hadn't even reached out to who came and they were like, Oh, what are you doing here? I was like, Oh, I was, the organizer which was really nice because it showed that I didn't have to just like tell people to come people were interested enough to look into things that they could do um within the town we've been able to do quite a bit since then um we formed the Limewood Lime Partnership for Social Justice with the help of our second selectmen um we have had like since then we had a lot of um other meetings and they weren't quite protests they were more just like we'd hire we'd have people speak who were experts in various situations within racism so we had a focus on um police reform we had a focus on affordable housing um education reform um so we had different events where we'd have people who were experts in affordable housing experts in um police reform and police brutality Mm -hmm. we had people who were educators who um, were changing curriculum around the state that was around racism and the history of um, people of color in our country. So I just want you to stop just for a second, because I want you to just breathe in what your actions did. I don't know if you've actually stopped to think like, oh my goodness. And it's not about patting you on the back per se, even though I would give you a pat on the back. But what I'm saying is your action, your decision to have a protest, to say, I'm going to stand up and do something about this. You just said now a whole social justice committee has been formed. That is incredible. And do I don't know, have you like really stopped to think about what that means? And the impact of your actions can have not only on your community, but other communities at large. Yeah, I've certainly sort of stopped to think about the fact that, well, I think the main thing that I've taken away is the fact that I am a young person in a random town and I've been able to do this. So people can do this. People can make a change. And so I do think it's really a something to look at and sort of think like you don't have to be some sort of like government official you don't have to be necessarily an educator in order to educate the people around you 
And so I think that's a really important thing to focus on when it comes to trying to make a change in racial justice or really anywhere in um, social activism mm-hmm. to sort of remember that you don't have to be someone. Mm-hmm. You can be just anyone who has strong feelings about something and actually wants to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder, because you're a political science major mm-hmm. and a journalist, uh, journalism major. So did that, uh, the events of 2020 have anything to do with your decision to be a poli-sci major? Definitely. Um, I am very, I want to go into political communications a lot because I realized that I had a lot to say and I had a lot to write and speak and just communicate about our current political situation, our current justice situation. Um, And I think that sort of organizing a protest and next organizing a social justice group certainly had a lot to do with my decision to go into politics and journalism because it gives me a platform to communicate to the people around me about what I'm what's important to me so I do definitely think that these events these protests that I've helped with these um groups that I've organized have had a real impact on my future and what I want to do with my future Indeed, indeed. And actually, I'm assuming that your name will also go down in history as one of the founders of this social justice committee. So I think it's absolutely great that you decided that you were going to act. And so the the message to our listeners is to act because you never know how it will impact your life and the life of others as well. And so Um, I also appreciate the fact that at the protest that you made sure that you had the voice of people of color as well as white people, even though you may have few people of color in your town. I don't know if you had to call people from the outside to come in and to speak or were there people in your community that you decided to uh, invite? Um, The people who spoke at the initial rally were people within my community. Um, I had, I think there were four high school speakers, including me, um, me, my friend who was also white and my friend who's AAPI and my friend, um, who is African-American. So I had them speak with me, make sure to give a voice to other populations because people do exist within our town. We do have, um, people of color within our town, even if it's a very small population, And so I had them talk about their experiences and what it means to be living through such a situation in a predominantly white area, because I can't speak to that, obviously. And I wanted to make sure that people could and people could hear that. And I think that one of the most important things that came out of it for me was I got an email from one of my elementary school teachers who came to the rally and she has a, an African-American son. She adopted him. And she basically just said like, this was important for him to see that there is this movement within our town, even if it's not obvious. Mm. And what I appreciate about that is because for those people who said we don't have this problem in our comfy little town is the fact that you as a white person may not have that issue, but people of color are experiencing something else. And that's why it's important for white people to get involved in this, to become educated on this so that they will know the impacts of racism on everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, the pa- and the fact of the matter is white people are impacted by racism. They're just impacted in a positive way most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important for folks to know the cost of racism. Uh, We do have to take another quick break. And when we return from the break, I'd really like to spend just the next few minutes talking about what you see as the responsibility of white people are Mm -hmm. in this movement. And then what you see the responsibility of young people, younger people to be in this uh, movement. And so we'll be right back with my guest, Sadie Franco. 
Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Sadie Frankel, and we have been talking this hour in terms of Sadie organized a Black Lives Matter protest in her predominantly white town, and we've been really talking about the importance for all of us to get involved in the movement to dismantle racism. So Sadie, before the break, I wanted to, um, I, I shared that we would have some discussion in this last segment about the responsibility of white people to dismantle racism. Now, of course, I have lots of views about that, but as a young white woman, what do you see the responsibility being for white folks to engage in this work? I think first and foremost, our responsibility is to listen and to learn and to not be defensive. I think that's one issue that's um, encountered a lot with uh, white people who are are fighting for racial justice is that if they're told if we're told like no that's not what needs to be done we get defensive because we're used to things going our way Mm -hmm. and so I think it's really really important for white people to listen in this um in this area because it's not necessarily about us while racism does affect us and impact our lives it's not about us so we need to be fighting for others as well as for ourselves. So I think that's really one of the big things that I've learned is that you need to be willing to listen and to be willing to learn from people of color and for leaders in our um, in this area. So that is one thing that I've tried to stress to people who, to my fellow white people who are trying to work to dismantle racism mm-hmm. is just like, listen, don't get defensive and just listen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think another important thing is to keep in mind that while we may not be directly affected by the negative repercussions, harassment, police brutality of racism, we are affected by it. And we need to listen. We need to make sure that we remember that our lives would be better if we interact with people who don't look like us, as we talked about earlier um, on this show. Like we need to be willing to meet people who are not like us. We need to be willing to make connections and relationships and not even willing, excited to do that because Mm -hmm. that's an incredibly important part of life is making interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's remembering that racism affects us all in a negative way and that we need to be willing to change. Mm-hmm. And and 
I want to just also offer as well, I think, in terms of responsibility of white people, in addition to doing those things, because those are two, two very uh, mm-hmm. powerful reasons to uh, uh, powerful responsibilities of white people to be able to listen for sure. Uh, and also to know that if, if white people don't engage, you will ultimately be impacted. But I think a responsibility of white people as well is to use your power. Mm-hmm. As there's a privilege and a power that white people have that will actually help to end racism a lot faster. Yeah. Right? Because if you're already in positions where, for instance, let's say if you're in, in a position to make a policy, whether mm-hmm. it's at a local level, whether it's, you know, we're talking within the, the federal level or just even within your town, mm-hmm. if you are the person who's in a position to change a policy or a way of being and you happen to be white and it's impacting people of color, then it's your responsibility to use your power and not let it just be the black voices who are saying this isn't right because What happens is when it's only the black voices, I've heard people say, yeah, I can just hear the violins playing in the background, or they think we're making things up. No, I'm not making this up. Look at your practices. So for me, um, I think an additional responsibility is to use the power that you have. Um, I want to ask you though, um, what about young people? What would you say, and whether this is young white people, young, young, you know, people of color, you went out there and you said, I want to make a difference. And you're not just doing it. I just want to add this. You're not just doing it for ending racism. You are an advocate for things. When, when you see things happening, you speak up. So what is the responsibility of young people to get involved in social justice issues? I think that there are times that young people, particularly people who are maybe high school, college age or younger um, to get, I think people can get complacent and think, oh no, that's not my job. It's the job of the generation before me. It's, but no, it needs to be everyone working together because there are different perspectives depending on age. There are different um, powers that we have and different people who will listen to us. So it's not just the generations above us. It's not their responsibility to end racism because obviously it hasn't been done yet. Mm -hmm. And so we need to work as young people who are going to be around for a long time, who are going to be, who are going to one day be the people in power, the people who have this responsibility fully on them almost to be working from a young age because you need to educate yourself. You need to be making a lead for the people around you to look at. So Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people within my high school, they are not there. They weren't as responsive to adults telling them when they needed to act. Mm -hmm. They were much more responsive when their peers were because they realized, okay, this is something that I also need to be involved in. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to show that a 17 year old from Connecticut was able to get the attention of the adults and the youths in our town to make a difference and to try to push towards dismantling racism. Yeah. You know, and the beautiful thing is, is that, so when we talk about it, because you said to educate yourselves, and I think that there are two areas uh, for young people to educate themselves uh, on, and that would be, or, or in, and that would be the education of what has been done before, right? So often we hear people say, um, you know, nothing is going to change or things haven't changed. Well, racism has not ended. And like you said, it hasn't ended, but there have been some things to change. And so the education piece comes in, you know, what was done before? What did they get right? And what did they not get right? Or what still needs to be done? And then to educate yourself on what's happening currently so that you know, okay, well, this needs to be tweaked more. So for instance, we had the Voting Rights Act to occur in 1964. That was a great thing, gave us the right to vote. But now what's happening to keep people from voting? 
what's being put into place. So, so it's, it, because racism, because it's so insidious, people are meant to keep us in our places, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They're going to always keep writing policies to get around some of the other policies that are written. So I think it is important, that education piece. But Sadie, we have run out of time for our show today. I want to thank you so, so much for uh, being a guest on the show today. But more importantly, I want to thank you for the work that you are doing to dismantle racism because it is so important to me for us to for us all to be involved in it. And so my goal is really to impact as many people as possible. And the show is my way of bringing folks on with a voice so that they can impact folks. So I thank you so much. And if there's someone who wants to get in touch with you to find out a little bit more about you, how can folks uh, reach you? You're on LinkedIn, I believe. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all the social medias. Um, I could give out my email address. Uh, not your email address. But no, you not my email address. Give out your, your LinkedIn. Okay, my LinkedIn is Sadie Frankel. Yes. And so, and you can find it on our website um, yeah. as well. We just don't want a lot of people bombarding her with uh, with emails, but you can get in touch with Sadie on LinkedIn. And I invite you to do so. She's a phenomenal young woman. And again, uh, I've heard her speak uh, on other issues. And so I'm very, very impressed with the work that you're doing. Thanks again for being here. And I want to thank my audience for being with us and listening today. If you want to know a little bit more about the work I do on dismantling racism or the courses that I teach, go to sacredintelligence.com and you can find out more about me and you can pick up my latest book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he will help you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you. Know that we are all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? 
Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.